Welcome to Cosmos Insight, the Cosmos Briefing Bonus, where we interview experts around key issues in science. I'm Dr. Deborah Devis, and today I'm talking to Professor Leanne Robinson, Program Director of Health Security and Group Leader and Vic of Victor-Born Diseases and Tropical Public Health at the Burnett Institute. So hello, Leanne. It's lovely to have you here. Hi, Deborah. It's nice to join you. Thank you. So a little context for those of you who are listening, um, Papua New Guinea has not been having very many COVID cases for the last little while. They had a small spike um, a little bit last year, but since February, they've had quite a few new cases. So I think currently, and this is um, in, currently in mid-March, we're at about 1,500 cases. So for a country that was experiencing relatively low COVID cases and it was seemingly under control, this spike that's happened in February makes it seem like it got serious quite fast. So Leanne, what is the situation in PNG right now and was it ever truly under control when it came to COVID? Yeah, look, there's certainly been a very rapid escalation uh, in the number of new cases in the past fortnight. And in fact, now it's it's well over 2,000 total mm -hmm. cases um, that have been documented uh, in PNG, with more than 450 cases uh, in a single week last week, um, and even more than 300 cases on Sunday alone. And uh, as you say, I guess, you know, these numbers also need to be taken in the context of what is still an overall low rate of testing in, in Papua New Guinea. And so knowing what we know about COVID-19 and, and the constraints of the healthcare system in PNG, this obviously has um, very many people extremely worried. In terms of why the increase now, um, you know, I think um, it's very difficult to say based on the available data. Um, certainly last year, PNG, you know, implemented a strong response early on in, in the pandemic. And early cases really didn't spark the chains of transmission and explosion of cases that we saw in other settings. And I guess the, the lack of some risk factors that exacerbated um, first and second waves in many other settings, such as cities with really concentrated population density and high rates of, of indoor social mixing, especially in the winter, um, they, they kind of appeared as though they might work in PNG's favour. Um, and, and it's also really well documented um, that only 20% or less of infected people give rise to 80% of ongoing infections. So it's very possible that some of those spikes we saw in PNG, you know, in August and September of last year, that they did die out, actually. And what we're seeing is, is a new um, sort of surge and spike. It's also possible that there was continued low-level transmission, especially in Port Moresby, um, where, where there has sort of been a steady number of new cases uh, over, over the period, but possibly also in other areas that went up undetected with the limited testing um, that, that was able to be in place. What were some of the reasons for that limited testing? 
So I think combination of factors, you know, in, in PNG, um, people are incredibly resilient. And so people don't rush off to a health facility um, when they're suffering from a mild or even a moderate illness. So people presenting for testing has definitely been part of the problem. And then um, being able to ensure that PNG's health system was equipped to be able to conduct comprehensive and rapid testing, you know, right across the country has certainly been a, a challenge and some something that all of the PNG organisations involved have been working really hard on over the past 12 months, with a lot of support from the Australian government uh, in terms of ramping up that capacity for testing. Uh, so uh, both of those things contribute to, to a low overall rate of testing. I think it's, it's also notable that the period of, of increased travel and social mixing over Christmas, over December and the New Year period, traditionally a time in PNG when people travel extensively, you know, from large urban centres like Port Moresby and Leigh, home to see their family, to go to the village, you know, this could have contributed to some seeding of infections throughout the country. There are also widespread reports, really, of a fairly relaxed attitude to the threat of COVID-19 uh, in, in PNG. I think last year when, when, when these escalations were occurring in other parts of the world, PNG didn't suffer from, from these ex escalations. And I think that that contributed to people feeling quite safe, that this is not something that was going to impact us and actually, you know, we're okay. And so, you know, the uptake of non-pharmaceutical interventions or as it's called in top and in PNG, the nupla passum rules uh, around social distance and wearing of masks probably um, have not been uh, really able to be implemented to the extent that that could have potentially reduced some of, of the transmission we're seeing now. Yeah, absolutely. And even being in a country like Australia where we were relatively sheltered compared to the rest of the world and PNG having an even less, seeing even less impact, it makes a lot of sense why we can see that happening. Beyond the social attitude, what are the public health resources like in PNG? Look, they're incredibly stretched. Um, and, you know, I think it's really important for people to understand that the majority of Papua New Guinea's estimated 9 million people live in rural areas of the country where access to healthcare is very limited. And, and we're talking about, you know, health facilities that might be staffed by just two or three or four people. And if some of those staff start to get sick themselves from COVID, um, the health facility closes, leaving a community with, without access to, to basic healthcare. Also, Right across the country, you know, there are substantial challenges with transportation and logistics and by extension, food security. And so when you combine that with, you know, high average number of people living in a household and that inability to therefore effectively social distance or isolate if you are sick, um, you know, crowded situations on, on transport, on private motor vehicles, you know, that, that are really the relied upon to, to get around, then, uh, you know, the need to go to food markets to, in order to be able to, to live, it's, it's very difficult for people to just, you know, lock down in, in the PNG situation. And so 
all of this really um, also combined, I think, last year to mean that lockdowns were an incredibly blunt instrument in a setting uh, like PNG and caused substantial hardship, you know, just through that inability to actually go about what's needed uh, for one's for one's daily life. So um, I think all of that, you know, has also probably contributed to now the, the decision around lockdowns also being an incredibly difficult one for the, the COVID-19 control and the PNG government. Of course. So if those healthcare resources are already stretched, plus um, adding on to that, the sheer food insecurity and lack of security in other places that come from having a lockdown, what can happen? What can happen immediately? What are those next steps for PNG? Oh, look, I mean, when immediate escalation in the response is, is needed, and I think we're seeing that now, you know, we've seen the, the Prime Minister, James Marape, give several press conferences now uh, about changes in restrictions and, and new rules coming into effect. We've also seen the announcement this morning from the Australian government um, that there will be 8,000 doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine provided immediately as soon as next week in order to vaccinate all of PNG's critical frontline health workers. I think these things will help, but there's also needs to be, you know, great leadership um, uh, on how serious a threat COVID-19 is in PNG, that it is as a disease, and also that it is in terms of its impact on the on the health system. You know, those 8,000 doses also, you know, then they're not going to implement themselves. Like there, there obviously needs to be a lot of support around the vaccine strategy. And PNG is is prepared for that. You know, there's a there's a vaccine technical working group and there's been uh, work uh, around vaccine readiness plans and community awareness, but this now has to be rolled out at a speed and scale that was not really um, what was being, you know, planned for for just a month ago. So I think increased support for that community awareness for faith-based non-government organisations, which play a very important role in PNG in public health awareness, that will be needed in order to ensure community trust in the public health program and, and the vaccine rollout in PNG. Obviously, in the, in the short, medium or even longer term, you know, there's also a huge need for continued sustained support to strengthen health services, um, to be able to support what is a, a, a small health workforce, you know, uh, with the challenges that lay ahead. So it's really great to hear that countries are trying to help each other when one has more resources than the other but 8,000 doesn't sound like a lot compared to a population of 9 million so how far will that go? Well exactly I mean we we are so far only talking about those 8,000 doses for critical frontline health workers so it, it won't go any further than that and I think that's that's now where you know the the work starts because what about their families what about uh, all of the essential support services that are going to be needed to deliver an effective vaccine program? You know, th these people will require protection as, as well. Wonderful. So um, PNG will have be looking after and managing other sorts of diseases as well. How do you think that this particular situation while managing COVID could affect the management of other diseases like malaria? 
Yeah, look, I mean, it's it's absolutely going to have an impact. With rapidly increasing numbers of healthcare workers, we're seeing the reports out of, you know, Port Moresby General, and that, that will be uh, reflected uh, around the country in terms of, of healthcare workers um, becoming uh, sick, sick with COVID. There's just a very real fear um, that the already stretched and fatigued health system won't be able to withstand the additional pressure of an escalating number of COVID cases. Um, we're already hearing reports of, of health workers unable to go to work or are too afraid to go to work for fear of catching COVID, of bringing it home to their, to their families. So I think there is very real potential for the recent gains, hard-won gains in HIV, TB and malaria control to be lost unless we can protect those frontline health workers, those critical essential staff that are doing bed net distributions as part of their normal job on a normal phased rollout program in PNG. If we can't protect them, then those essential tools won't be delivered and we will suffer setbacks. Yeah, absolutely. And for a population that, um, like you said, uh, uses a lot of public transport and can be tightly packed at those times, um, you and your fellow Burnett um, colleague, Professor Brendan Crabb, have written about your concerns that some Asia-Pacific places have the potential to be breeding grounds for mutant COVID strains. Can you explain why this might happen? Yeah, I mean, increased viral transmission anywhere. Uh, so not just in PNG, but in any country in our region um, uh, or, or in the world, you know, just creates this greater opportunity for the emergence of SARS-CoV-2 variants. This is normal. Viruses mutate um, and they usually do that under pressure. So, you know, the, some of the current variants of concern are more transmissible. But it's possible that as uh, vaccination programs continue to be rolled out, that they may also be new variants of concern that evade immunity. And this is a very real concern and a threat to, to the global vaccine program, the regional vaccine program. Is it preventable at all? It's preventable by responding as quickly as possible to reduce transmission. And so fewer new infections mean less viral replication, which in turn lowers the risk of new variants. So the situation can only really be achieved by that combination of non-pharmaceutical interventions and scale up of vaccines. So, um, you know, we need to ensure globally that we don't leave countries behind, that we have an equitable distribution of, of vaccines. We also need to make sure uh, that we're strengthening surveillance for variants of concern. So we know when they are arising and, and globally as, as we are, I mean, they're, they're our capabilities to produce COVID-19 vaccines reactively and adapt them to emerging um, strains needs to be, to be fortified. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's fascinating hearing about the importance of how quickly we need to have a response, how we need to understand the culture of where we're working in order to actually make effective um, responses to that, and also looking after each other when it comes to distribution of vaccines as well as sharing of information. Thank you so much. It's been really wonderful talking to you. Um, and this has been a Cosmos Briefing Insight. If you want to know anything more about the situation in PNG or anything COVID-19 related or far beyond that into the science sphere, please visit us at cosmosmagazine.com. Thank you.
Thank you.